I'm Glenn Bowerman, and this is a Spacing Radio Municipal Election Special. Welcome back, everyone, to another Spacing Radio special election panel. This episode, we're actually going to take ourselves out of the Toronto area and into the 905, where we're going to ask our special guests uh, a lot about the races that are going on there. And so Roland Tanner and Joel McLeod are the co-hosts of the 905er podcast, which covers uh, everything 905. Uh, So welcome, Roland and Joel. Not a problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and uh, let's just start off by uh, talking a bit about your show. It's uh, it's kind of become my go-to for uh, keeping an eye on races outside of uh, of the latte sipping uh, downtown elite <laughs> bubble. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you said we, it not as <laughs> we, we, drink, we drink hard coffee out here. No, oh. that lattes, not uh, It's all Tim Hortons. You know that. Oh, of course. <laughs> Salt of the earth, people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that. so the 905, and, and I'm, I'm kidding there, people, if you haven't heard us, we're not actually going to plow that kind of uh, avenue. Um, uh, the 905, but we created a 905 kind of as our experience living in, uh, well, we're both from Halton initially, I'm now in Hamilton, living out here, and it's kind of a, a media dead zone. Um, unfortunately, the collapse of kind of traditional media, print press, um, uh, has left most uh, 905 uh, municipalities with, with you know almost no coverage of what goes on at councils or no almost no coverage of, of anything very much and yet this is one of the regions in the country that again and again and again will decide elections because it's like oh the 905 it's the 905 what won it for party x or party y um so you know clearly we're important and and clearly there's also a story to be told that it's not just this kind of suburban wasteland of 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 boring people who never do anything interesting and have no interesting ideas. It's far more than that. We're looking at suburbs growing up into mature modern cities, hopefully, fingers crossed. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, there's a lot going on. There's a huge amount of uh, population growth going on. It, it's an area that deserves its own coverage. So that's what we've been trying to do, and uh, hopefully, we're hopefully we're getting there a little bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd just to kind of re- reiterate that thought is, you know, the, the entire, if you think about it, the entire population of Canada, the majority of it is in the 905 region. The 905 region is kind of slowly starting to outpace uh, Toronto, the 416 area code, if you want to you know, get specific to it, in terms of just population numbers. A lot of people are moving here. People are leaving Toronto uh, proper to move out here. Um, and in that, we've noticed that the region is in, in this flux. It's, it's in this kind of, we're almost like in the birthing pains of something new. We don't know what, like we, we're not saying, Oh, this is what the Dino five is turning into, but that's kind of exciting at the same time, because something that we've advocated on our podcast is something of the right for municipalities to kind of decide for themselves. How do they want to, how do they want to grow and accommodate that change? And that change is inevitable. So it has, it's going to happen. You can't deny it, but you know, what, what, what does that mean? That, that we think the 905 is in a perfect position to kind of redefine what a city would look like in the 21st century. And uh, it, it's exciting all, all across Ontario uh, as uh, we have, uh, I think, what a one seasoned journalist uh, used to call a consultation with the public. Um, and that's happening in every municipality across the province. Uh, you've got a lot of ground to cover and, and, you, and you have been. With uh, some some top guests, uh, you know, people actually running in the races and and things like that. Uh, so uh, I know we can't cover the whole nine hundred five uh, in Hamilton region, but uh, <laughs> what are some races that that stand out to you as uh, particularly interesting or, or, or important for the region? There's a couple that I'd really pick out as being interesting, uh, and one is Hamilton for sure. Uh, you know, it's definitely a change. It's a change election there. It hasn't quite developed in the way that maybe people thought it would. And that we're not getting a, a showdown between the old council and, and 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 challengers, and that most of the old council, well, key elements of the old council, including Mayor Fred Eisenberger, have, are not running for re-election. So we know there's going to be a lot of change. Mm-hmm. It's really now a question of, of what that change looks like. And obviously, we've got Andrea Horvath, former NDP leader, running. It's Keenan Loomis, who is the former um, 
CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, and um, uh, Bob Bertina, former Liberal MP, also former Mayor of Hamilton, um, at least once, I think once, I don't know. Anyway, uh, and although, I mean, I would say that the 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 old guard, so to speak, is kind of represented by Bertina, who 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 made really is, has over the last sort of half decade or so has focused everything on trying to stop LRT coming to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there was this just I mean th- this election is not about LRT; it's finally over by the look of it. Um, however, you know, uh, Bettina and the, the candidate who <clears throat> ran kind of in his stead at the last election, Vito Scro, and for him others just were dead set on taking a blank check from the federal and provincial governments and saying, no, thank you very much. We don't want it. Um, and, you know, Bertina's uh, now kind of trying to be a champion of transit, which is somewhat amusing, I think. But on the other side, we've got Andrew Horvath, who's obviously her kind of political direction is is pretty much well understood. And Keenan Loomis, uh, although his background is certainly with, this, with the Chamber of Commerce, I mean, I think he's politically center, center-left-ish, um, he kind of got into the field earliest. He's the least known, mm-hmm. um, but uh, he he got into the field very early and he's been kind of championing more, I would say most strongly, in fact, no question about it, definitely most strongly the kind of issues that say listeners to spacing would be interested in, you know, in terms of sort of uh, urbanist sort of uh, agenda, pedestrian, uh, friendly streets, uh, transit, you know, all these things. Um, so, you know, and, and kind of really hitting quite hard on those policies r- rather than, you know, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, Andrew Horvath came into things rather late and, and her platform has been rather thin. Well, uh, on that, on that note, I mean, we've, we're, one of our criticisms of Andrew Horvath was that it was the big, her, her entrance into the race was a big deal. I mean, coming off the, the loss of the, uh, the provincial election a few months ago. So her throwing her hat in the ring for the mayoral seat was, wow, that's, you know, it's a game changer. And we thought that's going to be an interesting dynamic. It, a big criticism that she received was a lack of details in terms of a platform on her campaign announcement. The result, the response was, well, it'll come later. That's, you know, as the campaign moves on, we'll, we'll present those details. And she had a big platform release. And again, there's a lot of criticism of, there's not a lot of details here. And there's not a lot of, new ideas or things that we can kind of, you know, chew on a bit and, you know, kind of get, you know, what we think of that. Um, that ultimately, I think, came to a head recently uh, in a, uh, a the local cable news channel here in uh, uh, here in Hamilton, Cable 14, had a mayoral debate where Bob Bertine did not attend because he was, uh, he, he said he was ill with COVID. Uh, but it was basically a head-to-head meeting between Andrew Horvath and Keenan Lewis. And Andrea just came off with not having a lot of detail on on her platform, I and mean, she was relying a lot on "you know who I am." Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a welcome face in Hamilton. I've got the experience. You know, I, I've I've been around a long time. You know who I am. And the uh, pushing back on Keenan Loomis as this neophyte outsider. He's, he doesn't really know Hamilton attitude, which he pushed back on it himself. Ultimately, I, I my guess. My, my gut is telling me that that was a bit of a game changer moment in this election where people are now starting to take a closer look at Keenan Lewis. And he's, it's not a, a surefire. Oh, he's, he's now the, the front runner. Uh, I still think it's Andrew Horvath, but people are definitely saying there's, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what he has to say. And he has, he's definitely got some momentum behind him leading into the, in the polls. And there's still a long way to go before election day. So that's kind of why we thought it's definitely an interesting one to, to look at. Um, Another race that we, I guess, that we've had on the podcast uh, prior uh, might be surprising to your listeners, but uh, Milton, hmm. the, sleep, the sleepy old town of Milton, we we talked to uh, one of the contenders for the mayor job there, a former councillor named uh, Z Hamid, who, for for those of listeners who are who are unfamiliar with Milton for obvious reasons, the existing mayor Gord Krantz has been there. Since, since the dawn of time, he he has been there. He, he I think he has the record for the longest serving term, continuous term as mayor, uh, just shy of Hazel McCallion. Right. Yeah. Uh, he he um, was. Well, he's not even shy. He was. He became mayor in 1980, but he's actually been elected continuously since the 1960s. Yes. Is unbelievable. Career, career politician. But anyways, yeah. Z, Z Hamid was a former 
counselor, he's throwing his hat in the ring to uh, to to upset that that rain. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of that the episode that uh, the conversation we had with him, but he talks a lot about the the need of the changing dynamic in the 905, which is really interesting to us. The the fact that we are not no longer that sleepy bedroom community of you know oh you need a place to park your car so you get on the go train to go into Toronto mm-hmm. for your day job. That is changing. There are a lot of people who are looking to set routes here in the 905, not just in Milton, but you know all over and. That that's transforming the dynamic of our of our communities, um, ideally for the better. Um, and there's a talk of the need of greater density. Uh, you know, we we don't need like the the condo towers in downtown Toronto, obviously. But a lot of people are saying, okay, but the the urban sprawl of just let's build and you know, there's a field, let's build another subdivision, isn't it isn't holding water anymore. Mm-hmm. And we need, we need, we need to start explaining that or exploring that, that well, middle density, that what's, there's gotta be something in between. It can't just be suburban sprawl or 60, 60 story condo tower. Like we need something in between to meet that density and to, again, that fit, that 15 minute city of, yeah, I want to go out, grab a bite to eat, but I also need to get my shopping done. And, uh, uh, you know, I want to, I want to take a walk through the park at the same time, uh, kind of, kind of feel. And so he was, he was entertaining that. And he's like, it was, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I'll shameless plug here. Go listen to our episode mm-hmm. uh, for the full, for the full episode. Uh, but it's a, it was a really fascinating idea and kind of a, a, a vision of the 905 in the future that kind of, kind of like, Oh, we, we paused to take a listen to that. Yeah. I mean, and we're certainly, we're not in the business of endorsing candidates or anything like that, but you know, it's, it's definitely a case of a choice between, the way things have been done for a very long time. And, and you know, Gore Krantz is no Hazel McCallion. Hazel McCallion, you know, had a Blackberry and was, you know, Hurricane Hazel and all the rest of it. Uh, Gore Krantz doesn't have an email address, uh, believe <laughs> it or not. We, we could uh, get him on our podcast too. Yeah. To we couldn't invite him to come on if we wanted. And, and if we did, we'd have to buy him a computer first. Um, <laughs> right. So, you know, that, that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, you know, Milton, like so many of the 905 cities, has had some really you know, regrettable urban planning mistakes, I think, in terms of just car-centric planning for decades on end. Mm-hmm. But Milton also is, 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 as part of Halton, is, has, you know, recently voted um, against, you know, expanding urban boundaries, um, preserving the green space that exists within the city, um, uh, within the, um, I don't think Milton's technically a city yet, I think it's still a town, but anyway, um, so, you know, both Hamilton and Halton have recently gone that route. We're saying, okay, no, we, we do want, we want intensification. Right. Now, once you've said we want intensification, the next question is like, what do you want that intensification to look at is a tougher point. But that's a big step forward over 10, 15 years ago, when I think everybody was quite happy to carry on sprawling, you know. So there's some, there's some positive things happening, uh, not in enough cities. I mean, I think, you know, just going through the cities we're most familiar with, Burlington's not an exciting race this time. No. I don't think Oakville is terribly either. Um, the, the the probably the next the other big one that that, that would be of interest to to, to your to your listeners is is probably Vaughan, where well I was just discussing with Joel this with Joel before we came on. It's, it, it, he was saying you know it's kind of the battle of of different types of liberal. Um, Former Liberal Party members, we've so got the you know the the recently passed leader of the Liberals of the of the Ontario Liberals, um, Stephen Del Duca, running mm-hmm. against ah, and I've just lost her name has just gone right out of my Sandra, head. Sandra Young, Young Rocco, who was uh, a mm-hmm. former candidate, a federal candidate uh, at, at, up there in uh, Vaughan, York region, and so it's like yeah, the battle battle of the Liberals, if you want, happening uh, in. Uh, in north of north of Toronto, um, but the, I mean the sort of slightly hilarious thing is if you go and look at Stephen Del Duca's website, his branding looks very familiar to anybody who ever looked at the Ford family branding over the last decade. Okay. Uh, and and his website mentions one thing and one thing over, and that's stop gridlock. Uh, nothing about transit, or very very not actually, and that's not entirely true. Very very little about transit. An awful lot about widening roads, um, and about you know coordinating traffic signals and things like that. This man was the transportation mm. minister. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, like, but that's, that's kind of what some of our frustration here is that, and again, 
uh, shameless podcast plug, but that's kind of the, the, our raison d'etre is just to change that thinking because for so long in the 905, the idea was always, oh, we need we have so many gridlock. We're, we're stuck in our cars traveling to and from work. We just need to widen the roads. Yep. And that has never, that, that, that works for a weekend. And then the traffic comes back and it does, it has never served us uh, that, that thinking. Induced demand. Exactly. Traffic is a real issue. It's a real problem. Uh, And the frustrating thing is that Del Duca, we know Del Duca has been singing from the the spreadsheet, singing from the song sheet of induced demand uh, as, as a minister in a liberal government, but he's thrown, I mean, he is very much kind of running as a, conservative in this election uh yeah. you know almost weeks after being <laughs> running as liberal uh it's very disappointing I, mean, I think it's incredibly disappointing i mean his challenger is a long time i don't i can't admit to knowing much about her but she's a, a long time counselor and uh, i mean you know just going by the website which i know is not a, a very good way of going about anything but she's saying the right things she's saying the things that we kind of want to be seeing about you know getting intensification route about affordable housing. You know, there's no mention of affordable housing anywhere near the Wadika's website. There's lots mm. of mention of things he actually has no control over, like the 407. He's like, we're going to reduce the cost of the 407. It's like, no mayor, if the province can't do it, the mayor of Vaughan certainly can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that's kind of where that is. I, I mean, I don't think either of us, you know, there's so few polls. I have no idea on 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 the kind of likely... Of, of who's going to win these these races or that race in particular but um uh, and you know del duca has the backing of the outgoing mayor uh bevel aqua um but you know i'm not a big fan of endorsements anyway but um you know he's obviously got the old guard behind him but um it'd be interesting to see um you know it doesn't given that he couldn't win his own seat a few months ago, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure that what kind of loyalty there really is to him in 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 the uh, in the in the region. And uh, staying on the topic of uh, sort of interparty fights uh, playing out uh, in a municipality, is it time to talk to talk about the Patrick Brown of it all? And and, and oh. Have to <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're, we're, okay, uh, save the best for last, I guess. No, we we've. we've uh, talked about Patrick Brown in Brampton uh, very recently. Uh, he's kind of, he's just kind of the story that never goes away. Uh, we, we honestly, we thought that, well, when he, he years back, it feels like years ago, months back when he said he was going to run for the conservative party leadership, mm-hmm. we thought, well, how, how are you going to do that and be the mayor of Brampton? Brampton is no small potatoes. Yeah. Um, and so he said that, What's what's the game plan here? Either he's going, either he thinks he honestly has a shot at winning, or he's just he can't resist signing up members or something. It was weird. So lo and behold, he gets booted out very unceremoniously, and he just like the next weekend, he's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to being a mayor uh, or trying to run for mayor. Now that campaign has drawn out uh, interesting contenders for him. Uh, One of them is uh, Nikki Cower who is, to give your listeners some background, so Patrick Brown is under, there's a lot of stories, or, and not positive stories, around him at City Hall, uh, basically surrounding nepotism. Long story short, he gets into, into uh, government, there's talk about, or into mayor seat, there's talk about getting Wilfrid Laurier University to set up a campus in Brampton, and he hired his buddy, or with a consulting firm, to kind of, get that going and using tax dollars to pay him very rich contracts. Um, his chief of staff is a buddy of his from the conservative party days who has come in and just like, fired, fired, fired from, uh, fired, Niagara, fired from region. Niagara region. He gets hired by Patrick Brown to come in and basically is, is there's, there's accusations. I would say accusations of nepotism and just, mishandling of money. A lot of these accusations were brought forward by a, a former staffer named Nikki Kaur, who is now running to defeat him as mayor. Story's not over yet. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Nick Kuvalis, who your listeners might be aware of, helped out Rob Ford back in the day. I believe Doug Ford as well. And John um, Tory. And John Tory. And just 
kind of a, 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 a conservative political mercenary for hire mm-hmm. has been hired by Nikki Cower to chair her campaign. And so there's that dynamic happening. She did not have the best of months. Uh, she had a big campaign launch that was delayed, which she finally did. She Her signs put up and the P in Brampton was missing from Brampton. So she was running for the mayor of Brampton. <laughs> yep. Needless to say, her her opponents jumped on that like you wouldn't believe, and they're, they're, so the, the the campaign's already on the defensive for a very foolish mistake on somebody's part. The thing is that with Brampton, nobody's talking about the issues there. It's entirely a personality race. It is, you know, what do you think of Patrick Brown? And Patrick Brown is doing what he does best, which is going out to the various communities, the various. You know, gurdwaras, the temples, the mosques, the, the, the barbecues, the fundraisers, all that stuff, shaking hands, kissing babies, the, the, the tried and true role of, of a politician. There's people there, his opponents are trying to bring up these accusations of nepotism and mismanagement of public funds. So far from what I've seen, they're, they don't seem to be sticking, uh, in, in the electorate with Brampton. It very much appears that he might return to another term as Brampton's mayor, but nobody's talking about the issues. There's, there's very, very little uh, drive in terms of development, transit, uh, housing affordability. These, these stories are not on the radar uh, really in Peel region. Um, yeah. All. I mean, it's really, I mean, Brampton's really, Brampton is a city unto itself in, in many ways. It's mm-hmm. a, the politics works in a different way there. It seems I mean, not just talking about like recent history, but but there's you know, the, the the various communities, the various community leaders are very good at kind of almost delivering a vote block to to whoever will promise them what they want to be promised, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, it's just uh, you know this long centuries long history of, of of that happening around the world, but um, but it's delivered a very sort of different environment in Brampton in terms of, uh, of how the voting situation works. And, and uh, you know, in the past, Patrick Brown has been a, a kind of master player of, of that game of, of kind of reaching out to leading people and saying, okay, bring your voters to me. Um, uh, so I'd, I'd be surprised if there's a change there and it's a shame. And it's, it's a shame for Brampton that, 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 the community is willing to be kind of treated this way. They're, of the last, was well, certainly three mayors, if not four mayors, mm-hmm. only one hasn't had the kind of a major scandal associated with them one way or the other. Linda Jeffries. Um, yeah, Linda Jeffries is the only one who sort of left office, you know, was voted out in favour of Patrick Brown. And there was never any question of, you know, sort of, no question against her character or her may- mayorship. Um, she's now endorsed Nikki Carr, um, but it seems to be a choice between, you know, the devil and deep blue sea, so to speak. Um, so, right. well, we'll see. And, uh, Nikki Carr, as I understand it is, is also conservative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would, that seems, I mean, we may be being a little bit unfair on her branding with that, but that seems to be the, it, you know, there's certainly no massive distinction and, uh, you know, I think it's just a choice between Patrick Brown, who everybody knows, and it's another a, kind of pretty conservative worldview. It's, it's a battle of personalities and a battle of wills uh, at the ballot box in, in Brampton. Well, uh, you know, I, I listened to your, your episode about this this Brampton race. Uh, I think the title is Brampton Without the P. Uh, <laughs> um, and it, I was thinking that, it, you know, the involvement of Nick Kuvalis uh, is very interesting to me and and i don't have i don't pretend to have any like insider information but uh you know nick nick Kuvelis is he's always lurking in the background in in conservative politics and he's no small potatoes in that he can deliver people uh you know winning winning platforms winning elections uh you know he he is responsible for um the last 12 years of uh toronto mayoral mayoralship so and he's also bragged on Twitter that he will uh, defeat Patrick Brown so badly that he he won't have a place in in politics anymore. So yeah. I, I wonder how much the Brampton mayoral race is really just like a you know a proxy war for the 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 heart of the Conservative Party. I, I thought I thought that is 
I thought, honestly, I thought that as well. The, I mean, we have no evidence to back this up. This is entirely yeah. our speculation. On, um, on my part as well, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Nick is very litigious on these matters. Yes. But knowing his, his ties to the Ford family, he, he, he helped Doug Ford's brother, Rob, win the mayoral, uh, mayorship of Toronto. Nick has helped Doug uh, at, at the provincial level with the Conservative Party there. Um, I probably wonder, and I, the, the animosity between Patrick Brown and Doug Ford is very publicly known. Mm-hmm. I mean, Doug, Doug Ford eliminated an entire level of government just to spite Patrick Brown from getting a job. Uh, right. he, he eliminated uh, the, the region of P, uh, PH. Well, he, 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 yeah, he eliminated the election. The election, the election for it. Well, you're right. So there's no, it's no longer an elected position. It's now appointed. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't really know what the, what the animosity is there, but there clearly is some. So is Nick's involvement here out of, you know, just goodwill towards a friend, Nikki, perhaps, perhaps Nikki is, uh, just as much in, t- in line with the, the provincial conservatives in her thinking and, and partisanship, that's fine as well. Uh, but I, I, I do, I do think that that factors into a, a certain degree here. To an extent, I, 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 my guess would be that he's working for the person who could pay him this election. Um, and, and I would imagine that even if Nikki Carr ends up being in a distant second place, her campaign will still be well-funded. Again, the kind of way politics works in, in Brampton, donations will be made you know um the the launch of her campaign was was apparently you know beyond standing room only it was it was you know virtually a kind of crush of 500 people into a room that was designed for about 50 um so you know a lot of people will be involved and and will, will come out and and uh, they may not knock on doors for you but they, they'll probably write a check for you um so I dare say they can pay pay uh, they can pay the bill that they'll need to pay for someone like Nick Kavalas. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so Brampton is getting short shrift with this race. Uh, in a perfect world, like blue sky thinking, what, what were you hoping to see in in the race for uh, Brampton leadership? They just need a, a hold. I mean, it seems. I mean, it's. There are too many municipalities across the 905 where City Hall is not a happy place to live and work. Uh, it's not a happy place to be a councillor. It's not a happy place to be a staff member. Um, it, the you know we see it again and again and again uh, in, in cities that you know spacing listeners probably are less familiar with and which don't make it into the headlines very often. Places like Burlington, which, you know, we're very familiar with Burlington. That's like you know there's been for at least a decade and a half, a kind of fairly poisonous kind of atmosphere at City Hall. And that, that's regardless of changes in councillors and changes in mayor. Um, it's just the culture that exists at that City Hall. Um, and, and it, you know, there's changes in staffing too. So I'm not going to point at any particular staff. It's just municipal government breathes this. Hamilton City Hall is not a, a very happy place either. And I'd be amazed if, you know, a change of council really has much effect on that. Now, we've seen the Red Hill Expressway scandal. There was a scandal where they released just sort of millions of gallons of, of untreated sewage water into Lake Ontario. Um, these were covered up. Um, you know, the, the, the culture of secrecy in every city hall is fairly profound. You know, the the the... The instinct to keep information away from the public, if at all possible, is very strong. I mean, it's strong in government generally, mm-hmm. um, but at city halls, you know, the elected the elected guys don't have the same power as, say, the elected guys at Queens Park do. Um, you know, the the staff can do end runs around the elected guys pretty often. I say guys, I mean men and women, and whatever you know. You know, it's a weak mayor system. We know. It, it, I tend to say it's not just a weak mayor system. It's a weak elected official system, mm. and it's a strong staff system, um, and that causes all kinds of problems. You know, Brampton is a particularly bad example in that it's become this kind of fighting ground for some of the least desirable political people that we have in this province. Um, but you know, it's far from, in terms from of you know 
how things work is probably far from from that exceptional actually you know uh, and this is a whole other side of things doesn't mean personally i think we need profound level of reform to the ways that our municipalities are elected how how we choose you know it would have been nice if we kept ranked ballots but that was taken away from us yep um, you know, the one city where it was used, London, it seemed to have a really positive effect with with um, like the first non-white uh, councillor being elected, someone who said, like, I never would have run under any other circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, we lost out on that. And, you know, it, it, the kind of oversight, we've had you know, examples of councillors, um, some of the councillors who stood down in Hamilton, thankfully they stood down, but just behaviour that is beyond disgraceful they're just what, you know something um, we, we've kind of paid attention to over the years uh of doing the podcast and talking with various councils around the uh around the region and not not just nine five but across the entire province is that the provincial government and it's not just a doug ford government it's it, the liberals are equally guilty of this as, mm-hmm. as well they thrive in a divide and conquer system uh they they it's very there are a lot of things that cities are should be the final say on things like development. They 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 should be the ones to say. Ideally, you'd, you'd have the province say, "Okay, these are your targets, and we expect these, these many people uh, are to, to live in your, your city or your town or whatever over the next twenty years. Figure out where you're going to put them, mm-hmm. and allow allow to use a variety of tools." to meet the, those targets, you know, middle density housing. So it's not just sprawl or high rise, which is leads to acrimonious debates that nothing gets done. And we don't really get what we want as a community. Uh, it's stronger, stronger councils to, to be accountable to the public because the public, the public thinks, Oh, you're the, you're my counselor. You're my where you, you can fix this. And nine times out of 10, you realize, no, they really can't. Those decisions are being made at a different body and, and altogether. And right now the system is set up so that all these mayors, these municipalities have the same issue. And that is they need more autonomy and a little bit more trust in themselves to, to make decisions for the benefit of their community. Mm -hmm. Nobody is going to Doug Ford or, or or Steve Clark, the, the minister of municipal affairs and say, give us this power. That, that 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 movement does not exist in the, in this province. At the last uh, Association of Municipalities of Ontario, that every mayor or every council councilor team was posting selfies with uh, with the the various members of of Queens Park, you know, thumbs up and winking and smiling, and oh, we got, you know we had great talk. Da, da, da. Not once did we hear from a collective movement from them saying, "Give us power, give us better, more." Uh, control over taxation, give us more control over our, our how we elect our officials and, and how we structure our government. Give us more power over how we can develop our, our, our community so that we're not stuck with high-rise or sprawl and make it impossible to build transit to accommodate uh, the, the, a growing, diverse uh, uh, municipality. That, that movement needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what we, we try to do on our, our podcast, just educate and bring those issues to the forefront. And that's and that's also like why like an, an, an election I just want to finish off this but circling back to Brampton. And ele- the election in Brampton really it, that's why it's so bad, is that nobody's talking about issues. Nobody's talking about we need to go to Queen's Park and say, You need to give this for we need to do this for us. No mayor's doing that. It's a it's a battle of politics. It's a battle of wills, and in the end, um, we all lose out. Like no, no, I don't see the people of Brampton aren't going to win in that election. Uh, and a lot of the cases, that's what a lot of the municipal, municipal elections in the nine hundred five region that we're seeing. The choices are between bad and may, not so bad at best. There's no, there's rarely do we ever see any real push for a vision and and to advocate for we need to start thinking differently or let's just try something new mm-hmm. i mean it's partly the the problem you know the inevitable problem every election that not enough people are paying attention too many you know name recognition it's, it's a cliche but it's true a person with with the biggest name tends to win and if you've been in office for, for four years then you're, you're almost always going to have the biggest name and they you know 
incumbents tend not to get beaten. Mm-hmm. So the, the, there's just profound kind of problems with that um, that we need to be thinking about how we how we break it down. But also, yes, again, the whole um, MZO issue with the ministerial zoning orders sort of highlighted how the relationship with the province works, and that everybody said, "Well, these MZOs are a really bad idea because you're just you're just circumventing the entire planning process to do whatever the province wants." Mm-hmm. But then each mayor. I would, my guess would be probably every mayor in the 905 region had an issue that they wanted an MZO on um, because it's, it's like a local thing that's that's unpopular for whatever reason. It's like, hey, Toronto skip too. everything. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not really so different, but it, it's just that kind of divide and rule thing that the, the mayors never think collectively. And yet the one thing that they all need desperately is reform of OLT. And that's not just because it's not like, Give the hat, you know, give power back to the NIMBYs. That's absolutely not what we're saying here. Um, it, it's it's about putting democracy, giving the power to the people with the votes to do what everybody thinks they're supposed to do, which is to 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 handle planning. Um, you know, as it is right now, most, most planning, you know, it, it's kind of the reverse of of um, all power or no responsibility. It's all responsibility and no power as, as a municipal politician, mm-hmm. um, because you know, you're elected. Um, if a building goes up, that people don't like, you're going to be the one who takes it in the neck for it being built. And yet you have no ability to do anything about it. Um, and I think, you know, the adversarial nature of the way things works with the OLD, the, I, the Ontario the, land tribunal for, for listeners. Yeah, what was the LPAT? What, what was the OMB? Um, the adversarial now, the fact that they, I, I simply think it, it's fair to say that they are very developer friendly as a rule. Um, uh, but the adversarial nature, which I don't think it actually suits anybody. It doesn't suit the developers, doesn't suit the cities. And you've got a state of constant appeal where, you know, city official plans are technically, they go to the province, the province signs off on them, the region signs off on them. Everybody gets them in agreement. Everybody says, this is a good plan. First building that comes along is appealed. Why is that? Mm-hmm. You know, we've already said that this is a good plan. If if, if the building doesn't abide by it, what's the issue here? Uh, and uh, that that you know, that's an issue that I think should have been in in the last provincial election, but wasn't. None of the leaders picked up on it. I don't understand why. When it's it's really development is the hot button issue in the nine hundred five region. How it's done. And I don't believe that it's nimbyism. I, I do believe that people are overwhelmingly supportive of intensification if it's done right. And if they're given the right understanding of the choices, it's like, you know, building, people are coming, buildings are coming. How do you want that to look? And far too seldom is that actually the question that's ever put to them. It's like, we hate these buildings and the kind of real thing that's going on here, which is like, well, it's not a matter of hating this building. It's a matter of what do you want it to look like? Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, and letting those decisions actually be made by the communities where they're going to be built. Um, yeah. Jumping off that, like, there, there was an interesting piece in the star recently uh, by Phil Pothin, uh, who's with uh, the, the group uh, environmental defense. Um, and he was talking about sort of Torontonians uh, responsibility for uh, protecting the environment in the 905, that uh, in Toronto, our, our reluctance to, um, you know, shake up anything in the so-called stable residential neighborhoods where you can only build uh, detached or semi-detached uh, single-family homes, he's saying that that's either necessitating or uh, p- providing political cover uh, for, you know, going into places like Ajax and Mimico and, and Peel Region uh, and, uh, you know, turning turning those into new uh, unsustainable, unenvironmentally friendly developments. He he calls these Torontonians green, green nimbies. Um, so that's uh, maybe maybe that's a, a paternal uh, view for like uh, oh Toronto is somehow right. in, in charge of uh, of uh, the nine hundred five's growth plans. But uh, it's, what do you think? It's about a reasonable that? point. I mean, it, it's a reasonable point. I mean, personally, I'd like to see the word nimby retired because it's like everybody's people are entitled to their opinions. You may not like those opinions. Their opinions may be wrong. They may be ill-informed, but they're entitled to them. Uh, and I really think, you know, the so-called NIMBY problem very often is, 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 the, is the problem of people not fully understanding the options 
that are being made on their behalf or the, or the decisions are being made on their behalf. I mean, sure. Yeah. If, 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 if Toronto's single family neighborhoods were easier to build in, then there'd be, there would be less pressure, but ultimately developers want to build where it's easiest to and cheapest to build a single family home neighborhood is never going to be the easiest and cheapest place to build. It's going to be the, the hardest and most expensive place to build. Even if you do have as of right up to six stories or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, a greenfield for them is, you know, target number one. It's like, there's nothing, you know, there's no one there to be angry about this building here. This is, this is so you know, the, you can't take the economics out of it and just say that, that uh, and pretend that a, a single family neighborhood is ever going to be like a, like a green that, field. That being said though, well, you know, we, we've, we've touched on this a lot in our, in our episodes. Um, in the 905, like the, the mentality of a lot of developers is that, Oh, we just keep pushing out the 905. And that being in that mindset that you're right. It, it is easier to just, Oh, there's a field. Let's, pave it over and we'll turn it into a, a bunch of uh, suburban uh, single detached homes, uh, another neighborhood. And it, it, that hasn't served us. And it's, we're actually starting to see the, the repercussions of that actually uh, here. Like we've, most of our episodes, we've been talking about coyotes of all things mm-hmm. uh, in our, in our communities. And it's a big issue, but you know, we're treating it in a, in a dishonest way. And it, the, for any of your listeners who are not familiar with the, the story, here it is in a nutshell. Um, we have coyotes in Burlington. Uh, and by coyotes, I mean coyotes in neighborhoods. Like right. imagine your neighborhood in Toronto, just imagine a coyote just walking down the middle of the road. That's what we have here in Burlington. Um, we've had them for years. The reason why is we kept building out these neighborhoods up to the up onto the escarpment. And surprise, surprise, we got into their habitat, which forced them to come down through ravines and through uh, waterways and whatnot into our long-established neighborhoods. They become uh, urbanized and, and familiar with people. Well, exactly. And it's gone to the point now where they're attacking people. Mm-hmm. We've had four, four coyotes had to be put down uh, by animal control service because they've been attacking People who are not who are not who are not antagonizing. They are going out for walks. They are they are doing their business, minding their own business. Absolutely not antagonizing them, and they're getting attacked because we're encroaching on this territory. Now, the problem is nobody's addressing this. Nobody's saying, "Oh my gosh, we need to change our habits." And because here in Burlington, nobody's talked about. Well, we really need to start like saying, "Okay, no more development at this like this point, this far, no further." No more development. We need to start intensifying and 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 preserve our that green space to the north of us. The provincial government isn't helping because one of the very first episodes that we did was when they started to roll back uh, conservation regions authority, mm-hmm. and that's a very important point to make because those conservation authorities are they cover like the wetlands and the streams and the the waterways that are meant to help prevent storm surges that happen. Um, especially now in climate change and whatnot. Yeah. But the consequences you get into preserving habitats and, and biodiversity and all that stuff. And that's really their raison d'etre. Yep. And the provincial government said, well, we're going to take that away because it's easier. So like if you're a developer, you say, well, I want to develop this plot of land. You'd have to first go to the conservation authority of the region and say, can I build there? And the region might say, no, you can't. It's a watershed site. It's a it's a wetland. It's a watershed site. It, it feeds into this point. It's out of bounds. And they'll work with. They would work with the developers. Say develop this plot of land instead of develop in this way. Why not? Ford government did away with that, so that the conservation authority basically the developer says, "I want to build there." And the conservation authority doesn't really have the power anymore to say, "No, no, no, you can't do that." All this stuff forces that that again that as you said the green nimbyism. I know, I know Roland's bad word. Just bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I can't let it go. <laughs> but like that, but that, but that, you know, people in Toronto moving out to say, well, I want, I want the wide open space. And it's just, we might, nobody's just pushing back to challenge. No, none of our elected officials mm-hmm. at any level are pushing back on that narrative and say, we're, we need to start challenging this idea. We, we are, we are reaching the limits of where can we start building and again, what Ron says, like nobody's talking about options. Like there are so many different options out there of how we can start designing these cities. 
not just Toronto, but all the communities in the 905 to be sustainable, to be denser, to be livable, mm-hmm. you know, like to, to, to be something different that is not a downtown Toronto high rise or a sprawling subdivision. Yep. There is a good in between level that everybody can sit there, thrive and live in, build a community that nurtures us all. And right. That's, that's the sad thing is that we aren't seeing that discussion or that leadership happening at, um, at any level, federal, provincial, or municipal. I, I wanted to finish by, uh, presenting you guys with uh, an idea that came up in the previous panel uh, that we just recorded, which is the idea that, you know, all of these municipalities and Toronto, like the 905 Toronto, uh, as we kind of, our borders uh, bulge up against one another, uh, regional transportation becomes more and more important. Uh, and we we should have uh, similar goals in in local transportation as well. So uh, our, our guest, Tr- Trisha Wood, a professor of uh, uh, urban geography at uh, York University, uh, mm-hmm. she suggested she would like to see a kind of coalition between whoever the mayors and counters, uh, councillors become uh, after this election uh, in this region, uh, who kind of get together and use their sway as a coalition uh, to influence the provincial government uh, about things like uh, regional transit, uh, you know, fair integration, uh, yeah. plans that cross borders, that kind of thing. How does that absolutely. strike you? Oh, absolutely. I couldn't, you know, I think both of us couldn't agree more with that one. I mean, that, that, you know, yeah. I mean, just, just for listeners interest, I mean, I, I actually, I ran for council four years ago and it wasn't successful, but I mean, at that time I was talking and I know that the then challenger for the mayor of Burlington, who became the mayor, Marianne Mead Ward, um, was also talking about, you know, the need for regional transit. It makes no sense, zero sense for Burlington to run its own transit system, for Oakville to run its own transit system, for Milton to run its own transit system. And you cannot get a bus from one of those cities to the other because they're not allowed to set down or pick up passengers in the other cities. You cannot, we're in this region of Halton and you can't get, I mean, so basically it's impossible to get from Burlington to, to Milton. Uh, uh, which which is exactly what many people want to do because they w- live in one, they work in the other. Um, so regional transit is absolutely important. And, and, and yeah, I mean, the second part of that point is that the cities, municipalities, the regions need to start talking together in a much more meaningful way than they do at present. You know, the, the AMO and the big city mayors and all these things, I do not get the impression that they really do a yeah. huge amount of profound work. They need to start being activists on the behalf of municipalities with the province, you know, to, uh, to basically go to, to, to demand from the province as an entity rather than in this divide and rule separate way. That I, w- I would want to point out that uh, coming back to the, the previous, you know, the, the point where we're here talking about municipal elections, there is in Halton one regional candidate who is, this is on, on their ticket, on their platform, uh, Andrea Garbons will throw a, a friendly uh, uh, toss out to her. She she's made this part of her platform uh, to create a regional transit uh, system through the region. Mm-hmm. We think it's a good stepping stone because you're right. We need a cheap and affordable public transit option to get well to get from Burlington to Brampton to Vaughan to Mar- Markham, uh, Richmond Hill, etc. Uh, as much as it, we can get on the go train and get into downtown Toronto, uh, there is that. That's at the provincial level. Like that, that there are provincial laws that prohibit that from taking place, and that would require, as Ron said, like the the, the various municipalities in the nine hundred five need to, if they really want this to happen, uh, and they should, they need to start coordinating, um, like a, basically a campaign to to pressure the provincial government to change the the laws and regulations surrounding that together they together the municipalities have serious clout they have you know, the, the the people who sit in the mayor's office and the councillor's office i mean very often they are tied to the, the political parties they're they're, they're <laughs> friends uh, and colleagues there's, there's, something, there's something we've also noticed the 905 as we said is the most important region i would argue in the entire country we make or break federal elections and the, we can make or break a federal government. We also make or break provincial governments. We are mm-hmm. very, we have so much power and so much clout that is quite frankly overlooked that's criminal. If the mayors realized this and gained up and mobilized this, they would be so powerful against uh, 
Queens Park. Like, I don't know, this, in the, this provincial government, we were asking ourselves, who is the real champion of the 905 at the cabinet table? Like, in Peel region, that the Conservatives hold entirely, pretty much from Peel West, the Conservatives have every seat. Who Who is the, the cabinet minister of the real clout? Like, you know, like uh, we're talking finance minister, health minister, municipal affairs minister, somebody with real, like, oh, they got a, they got a portfolio that matters. No one, mm-hmm. no one in the 905 sits at that table and says, I've got power at this table. You better listen to what I say. And that in itself is criminal. There's uh, an irony, yeah. actually, just chipping in on that point, yeah. Joel. There's an irony that, you know, the, the dig at the, the, at the Liberals was, you know, all these downtown elites. The, the, the current PC government is far more dominated by downtown, central Toronto, maybe not downtown, because I know that's still kind of Liberal and NDP, but but Toronto area uh, MPPs. Than, Inner suburban, uh, yeah. Yeah. And also rural MPPs, obviously, but that the 905 is largely excluded from the, from the cabinet. But in that void, the mayors have an opportunity to step up and say, we're going to be the drivers of change uh, in this province. Do they have the will and the, the I think they have the, they could have the political backing to do it. Do they have the will to do it? We'll have to wait and see until after the municipal election. It's uh, yeah. Uh, both of you, I, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you for uh, bringing bringing me out of my my Toronto bubble. Uh, <laughs> no, we know you don't have that. <laughs> that podcast again is the the nine hundred five er. You can find it anywhere fine podcasts are are found. And uh, oh, where can people reach you? Nine hundred five er dot ca. We're on the web. We are on Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. Recently created a TikTok account, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, just uh, search for the. Uh, the 905er uh, on, on those various uh, platforms. All right. Uh, Joel uh, and Roland, I want to thank you so much for taking your time. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Cheers. And that is the show. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this election special, please tell your friends and share it around on social media. Let's get people out to the polls. I make this podcast with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music, and you can find that music on SoundCloud at Track82. That's all spelled out. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or scoops, you can tweet at us at Spacing Radio, that's all one word, or email me at glennbowerman at spacing.ca. That's G-L-Y-N-B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N at spacing.ca. Visit our website at spacing.ca, where we have non-stop election coverage. Visit our city store at 401 Richmond Street West in Toronto, and don't forget to pick up our special election issue of the magazine. Cheers. Cheers.